Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, August 7th, 2022. Today's sermon will be about the Incarnation. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurch.nc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Um, just a, a confession. I think that um, as Christians who our main gathering time is Sunday mornings, um, that uh, through the years I've been up and down on this, but um, as a preacher and as the one who brings the sermon, I'm I'm usually done with my sermon before um, Friday so I can spend time with family and friends and hang out on weekends or whatever needs to be done. But still, a lot of times, most Saturday nights, I'll go in, close my door, pray and just think and ask the Lord to give grace. And, and I, I have been up and down on that a lot. And, and, and so that's just a, a confession because last night the Lord just showed his kindness to me in uh, ways that you know, I can't even express um, even in my prayer time as I was getting ready for this this morning. And so um, I pray and, and my, my, my little way of just urging you is to think about Saturday evening sometimes, a little more than maybe you do, to prepare your hearts to think about coming together for our time of worship um, on Sunday mornings. Um, with that in mind, um, we're gonna, we're, we're, as we take the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to be out of Hebrews again one more week. <clears throat> and I've actually preached a version of this years ago um, for this particular sermon as we think about the tabernacle. And as if you remember from two weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 9, spent a lot about the parts of the tabernacle. And we looked at that passage and we saw that really the tabernacle was just a picture, an illustration for us. Because who has fulfilled that part of Israel's worship? Because if you remember... The tabernacle was at the center of everything that Israel did in their worship with their priesthood and everything that centered around that. And as we move to the New Testament, the Apostle John says, the Word became flesh. And as, we look, as, we, as I mentioned, that Word became flesh just as He tented, He tabernacled, He became, took on, God took on flesh and he took his dwelling with us. And so we no longer do that today as far as going back to that tabernacle. Today, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not on this mountain, not on that mountain, but in every, on every place. Because now Jesus is the tabernacle. So today as we take the Lord's Supper and we remember his words, This is my body. His body is the true tabernacle. This is my body, broken for you. We remember the body of our Lord who laid down his life on the cross. And I asked the the question, why did Jesus come and lay down his life on the cross? Now, there are many reasons we could give. We could just go on and on and on from multitude of reasons for we ask that question why why did Jesus come lay down his life but I want to use a famous work 
back from the 4th century by a man named Athanasius, one of the early Eastern North African church fathers. And he wrote a small book, um, and it's called On the Incarnation. And that's his question. So he's writing, not just for Christians, but he's writing to that Roman world during that time, why did Jesus die? And so I want to highlight three answers for us this morning as we remember the death of our Lord. And so here they are, and then I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll make our way to answer that question with three reasons. Why did Jesus come and lay down his life? So here's number one. He came to turn the corruptible into incorruption. So to make that which is corrupt, incorruptible. Two, he came to restore the image of God in man. And then three, he came to teach us about the Father and to destroy the worship of idols. And so with that in mind, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we take the Lord's Supper this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we rejoice in another day that you've given us, and your mercies are new every morning. Our sins, if we are Christians today, our sins are covered, our sins are forgiven, and we worship you in the face of Christ, who is the true tabernacle. We worship you because he laid down his life. On the cross. So, Father, today I pray that Jesus would be lifted up. I pray that he would be more beautiful to us. I pray that he would increase and help us by faith to grow today as we remember by remembering these three reasons today, by as we remember his death. Help us to grow in our faith today. Pray that in spite of me, that you would work. And we just give you this time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So why did Jesus come in the flesh and lay down his life? Reason number one, according to Athanasius. Which, by the way, you will find these to be clearly biblical. But number one, he came to turn the corruptible to incorruption. God sent his son into this world because we are corrupt. Before the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve had a different nature. There was no corruption as we have today. There was no need for the incarnation of the Word of God. But they fell. They disobeyed. They sinned against God by not keeping His law, keeping His commands, keeping His Word. And with this sin came corruption. And with this corruption came death. Before, incorruption and life ruled before the fall. But after the fall, corruption and death was their king. And as we come as, as, as children of Adam and Eve today, we've inherited that corruption. And so death and corruption reign. 
And this corruption doesn't simply include our bodies. It includes all that we are. It isn't like we are, well, I'm 25% corrupt, but 75% incorrupt. It's 100%. Because of sin, all of us are corrupt. Now, synonyms for this word corrupt are spoiled, contaminated, polluted, defiled, or even rotten. So we could use those in the right context to speak about, about us as sinners who follow after our father Adam. And so when you think about this, think about frozen, or not frozen, I'm thinking ice cream. I eat frozen ice cream bananas all the time. But think about a banana that is rotten. It's pretty much no good for anything, is it? You don't even want to eat it. It certainly brings in the fruit flies. certainly does in our house. But when it's rotten, you just want to get rid of it and throw it out into the garden. It isn't even good to make banana bread. Same goes for any kind of spoiled fruit. It's not good for anything except to throw it out into the garden and then let it become part of the soil again. <clears throat> but we are not we are not frozen. I'm getting it on my mind. We are not bananas. We are not spoiled, rotten bananas. So what is the difference between us and a banana, a rotten banana? Well, the difference between us as sinners and a banana is that we are made, how? In the image of God. The banana is not. And our souls your souls, because you are made in God's image, are immortal. And if a soul is corrupted, how can it live in the presence of a holy God? As sinners, we are like that banana. We should be thrown out into the, into the garden. The difference between us is that, again, we are made in the image of God and we are immortal. And we cannot live in the presence of a holy God. Adam and Eve could not after they fell. We cannot, and we are corrupt. Let me give another quick example. Now, this example I'm going to give now, I've given probably five, six, seven, maybe you guys can remember, 20 times over the years. And I'll always go back to this with my family. Abigail, in fact, I forgot to get it coming in. But we needed to see this. I don't even know what kind of tree this is. Sorry, YMCA. But I had Abigail go out, and I don't know where you picked it from. She tore it off. And you can still see it. It's nice and green. <clears throat> but now that I've taken it off, what have I done to it? I've separated it from its source of life. Now, it's still green. Still got some nice little somethings on it that are, I don't know what this, what this is. Where's Micah when, when you need him? But the point is, it's no longer connected to its source of life. And, and, and we could put it in water, and it would stay going for a week or two weeks or three weeks, even a month. But eventually, because it has no source coming into the life, it will corrupt and it will decay. And so in the same kind of way, we, made in the image of God, but we are cut off from our source of life. And when we think about the world and the evils of this world, everything that's going on, we see the effects of this corruption. There's all kinds of sins, natural disasters, hate, killing, 
wars, brothers and sisters fighting against one another. We can see it in our own families. Mothers, fathers fighting against one another. Mothers fighting against daughters. Sons fighting against father. Wherever we see, we could just go on and on this morning. Corruption is in this world because of sin. Everywhere we look, we see corruption and the effects of our corruption. Namely, we are separated from our source of life. Before the first sin of Adam and Eve and what we call the fall and the corruption that followed, it was the Word of God that sustained them there in the garden before the fall. It was the Word of God that gave them comfort. Really, it was the very presence of God that gave them life and everything they needed. This is why the Apostle John would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. But after the fall, corruption came, and the presence of God was not with Adam and Eve, nor is the presence of God with us as it was before the fall, as sinners. And so, there's the problem. So here's a question. How could that which is incorruptible at that time dwell with that which is corruptible? In other words, how then could God, who is not corrupt, dwell with the, the fruit that is spoiled and corrupt? How can God dwell with sin? Well, first answer. This is why Jesus came. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus came to undo what happened at the fall, which is to restore our incorruption. So let me ask, who is incorruptible? It is God, and it is God alone. And though Jesus was born from a woman, 100% man, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is good doctrine. He was God in the flesh, incorruptible, as he was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts? It goes way back in home group, but let me read just a little bit his first sermon. He stood among corrupt sinners, and here's what he says, men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up loosing the pains of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. Brothers and sisters, we are held by our corruption. We are held by our sin. We are held by death. But then he says a few verses later, the end of the sermon, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. 
This is why the incarnation is so important. This is why Jesus came. This is why we remember, this is my body broken for you. And he is the only one in the universe who could do such a work. If you think about all of your sins, if we, one of the things we do when we, when we take the Lord's Supper is we, <clears throat> it's not that we just do that once a month. We, we always, Christians always live in a, in a, in a frame, and a mind, and a heart of repentance and faith, looking to Christ who covered our sins. But it's important. In fact, we're not Christians if we are not repentant. Not just once, not just twice, not just walking an aisle and then rededicating, not just one month. It is a lifetime of a heartfelt repentance and faith in looking unto Christ. And so this is why Jesus came as we remember his body. He came to make us, if our souls are going to live forever, well, if you think about it, the, the corrupt will be away from God in hell. But those who have been through the blood of Christ, as Christians, here we are today, he has made us, we will be given bodies one day, but even now, by the Spirit, we've been given the first fruits. We, this process has already begun. We are now can be because of the death of Christ in the presence of God. So he makes us <laughs> what that was corrupt, incorruptible. That's number one. It's one reason Jesus came. Another reason, according to Athanasius, he came to restore the image of God in man. Now, we, we're this, these overlap a bit, so you'll get a little more of this, but let me ask. <clears throat> we asked a moment ago, what makes you different from a, from a rotten banana? Well, now, what makes you different from an animal? Well, the world just sees us coming as evolving, coming through from who knows what way back, and we're all the same. But what makes us different? What does the Bible teach? We are different because we are created in a special way. You were created in a special way. You were made, we were made in the image of God. So let me ask, what does, it mean, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? We can give a lot of answers here. But let me just say a couple things about that, answering that question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we are like God in some way. I think we can say that according to Scripture. We think, we feel, we love, we have relationships with one another, but... There's so much more to that. If you would, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1. And I use these verses a lot in my preaching, so this is nothing new. Maybe you could even say, but Genesis 1, 26. And so I'm having you turn there because we're talking about what does it mean to be made in God's image. And we've already said, well, we're like Him in some way, Okay. I think we can, we can point that out. But I think even more importantly than that, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, to be made in the image of God is to be like Him in the way that He rules. In other words, we've been given particular responsibility on this earth. So, God said, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So there's the context. Made in the image of God. And then what's the context of being made in God's image? 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, as God's special creation, as men and women, mankind, we were the only creatures with the special task. He doesn't give this task to the animals. We have the special task of multiplying and ruling and having dominion over this world. You see, Adam and Eve were to have children, and then their children have children, and so forth and so on, and they were to spread out and do what? Fill the earth with what? The glory of God. <clears throat> and before sin, if that would have continued, that's what would have happened. The glory of God would have gone out. We would have had all of this corruption. But because of sin, separated, look up here at me, separated from their source of life because of sin, then instead of good things going out, what goes out now? This sin, corrupt sin nature. Instead of spreading the glory of God and His purpose and His ways, we now spread the glory of sin, death, corruption, and all kinds of evil. And this is why we see what we see in the world. That's our worldview, brothers and sisters, as Christians. We have a good explanation for what we see in the world, and this should give us an opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors and co-workers. They have, they have questions. They say, why? All the time. Why does this happen on the road? Why does the drunk driver hit this child and kill them? They didn't deserve that. Have you ever heard anything like that before? And a million other things, probably, if we were really to think about. Why? But we have an answer. Because sin is in this world. Now, at this point, read Athanasius, he asks a question. And he says, is God defeated? Well, it may appear so to many people in this world, but of course the answer is no. Why? Because of the incarnation. Today we remember, this is my body broken for you. God taking on flesh. God is not defeated. Again, the world thinks so, but he is not defeated because of the incarnation. This is why Jesus came. He came to restore, somehow or another, miraculously put us back and restore the image of God that was lost before the fall. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love towards us and that while we were yet still sinners, still corrupt, still separated from our source of life, even in all of that, God sent His Son to die for us. So as Christians, we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we sing these songs at the end of the day. I'm just, brothers and sisters, I just say the same thing every week. 
I just come from a different angle. I just say this, this is what God has done in, in loving us. This is what God has done in sending his son. This is how big God is. I say the same thing every week. And, and, and so this is nothing new. And we know this. But here Athanasius asks another question. He asks, why isn't repentance enough for God? In other words, why couldn't Adam and Eve, when they fell, why couldn't they just turn around and say, God, we are sorry. Please forgive us. Well, you know, I, I think they did. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. When I sin against my family, when I sin particularly against Kristen, and I say, I am sorry, please forgive me, so far, every time. Kristen has forgiven me every time. So why can't God do the same for us if we just ask him without the incarnation? Because this is what the world says. <laughs> In the Garden of Eden, why couldn't they have simply gone to God with repentant hearts and said, God, we've done wrong, please forgive us. Well, Athanasius gives two reasons why. First one is obvious. God would have been a liar because, Genesis 2, God says, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They ate of it. God's not going to go back and say, well, now you're not going to die. And again, death means so much more than just dying physically. It is primarily spiritual death. And then one day we will die physically. And one day without God, we will be in a much worse place than my garden. And so there's so much more to that. But the first reason that he gives why God just couldn't forgive us is because God would have been a liar. God could not go against his word. Namely, that death is the penalty for sin. That, there's another worldview for us. We know why there is death. Our co-workers maybe do not know, but we know why. He had to do something more than just allow simple repentance. If he were to give in to his word, he would not be true and he would not be perfect. God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do, and he acts always according to his nature. And sadly, death must come. And so that's one reason why, because God would be a liar. The second reason that Athanasius gives, is that God couldn't simply accept repentance because simple repentance would still not solve the problem of this. Would still not solve the problem of our nature, the image of God in us. Something had to put the branch back. The image of God in us was spoiled and repentance would not be enough. Repentance alone could not take care of this problem. If the sin of Adam would have simply been a misdemeanor, not affecting his nature and the image of God in him, there would be no need for the incarnation. So God had to stay true to his word. And he did. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. But God commanded, showed His, demonstrated His love, Romans 5, 8 again, towards us 
while we were yet still corrupt, image of God needed to be restored, and without it, He still sent His Son. And that is why we must have the incarnation. You see, in order to restore the image of God, God Himself must take care of this problem. So again, why the incarnation? Why did Christ come? He came to restore the image of God in us. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17. For He is the image of the invisible God. Sounds a lot like Hebrews chapter 1, doesn't it? For He is the image of the invisible God. <clears throat> Firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were, through, were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, most people in the world make God into their own image, thinking that repentance is enough. This thought is seen and heard every day. They say, you know what? This is what the world says. God is loving. He would never punish me as the Bible says. I mean, just the thought of hell emotionally is a big one for me, brothers and sisters. And it is for you if you think about it. To the world, how could a good God do such a thing? People say all the time, I'm okay. I'm not that corrupt. I'm not that bad. And even if I do mess up, God will forgive me. Well, they're right if they look under the sun and unto the Lord Jesus Christ, but just repentance in and of itself is not enough. People say, you know what, God just simply wants me to do my best. Well, how do you answer that? How do you answer that? Well, we're answering it now, are we not? This is good food for thought as you leave this place and you deal with your neighbors and your co-workers. Sometimes teachers teach on the curve, and so the tests are so hard they know nobody will get an A or a B, much less. And then so everything kind of starts at the C and goes down to the F. Then the teacher curves it. Has that ever happened to you when you're down there at the D or the F? And all of a sudden you're like, yes, I passed the class at the very, very end. Those of you, some of you have been through college and had those hard classes like chemistry and engineering and math are all there. You're like, yep, I got it. I understand it. But God does not work like that. He doesn't work on the curve. All the time people pray that God will forgive them. But they do not consider what we know to be true. That Jesus came. God took on flesh. This is the incarnation of Christ. Who is the very image of God. And the world does not know the meaning of the Incarnation. They also do not consider their own natures as we have already this morning. Brothers and sisters, I would, I would ask us by way of application, often consider your nature. Consider how corrupt it is outside of Christ. And think about when, when something happens in life, and, and something really catastrophic, like a, 
a drunk driver hitting a three-year-old or something like that that you can't think or imagine that God would allow. Or, or someone that you know very well, and then next thing you know, they've, they've, they've done something really horrible like commit adultery or, or steal from someone or, or even kill someone. And those kinds of things should not surprise us as Christians because it, the more we think about our own hearts, but by the grace of God, are you sitting here today? Am I up here preaching today? So we should take every moment to praise God that we are here and not somewhere else. Not to say we are better, but to say, praise God for His grace. But we should not be surprised when we hear what is going on in this world. So consider the depths of our corruption. Most people in the world, they don't think deeply at all about the incarnation. I preached this sermon at Christmas years ago. But think about Christmas. The world pictures the baby born in the manger, star in the sky, the shepherds coming, the wise men from the east bringing their gifts. And many people don't think about the incarnation at all during Christmas. But that is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is no longer Christmas, but simply a holiday with gifts and buying and selling, family gatherings, and going into debt. It's a time when, when Santa comes to bring the gifts to the world. But for us as Christians, Christmas is about the incarnation. Today, Jesus came to restore the image of God in us, and this is why he came. So what a message for us today. What a message for the nations. What a message for sinners. So I hope if someone here is not a Christian, you've heard these two truths You've thought about it, and I would say to you now, that is the reason Jesus Christ came, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I would, I would ask you now, even while you sit, trust Christ. Finally, third truth this morning, another reason. He came to teach us about the Father, and destroy the worship of idols. So after the fall, our natures became corrupt. That was the first truth. Second truth, the image of God in us was spoiled, lost, marred. Ephesians 2, verse 3, he says that we are, by nature, children of wrath. And we carry out our own desires. Because of this, he says that the God of this world has blinded us. So as sinners, as sinners, I'm not speaking to Christians now, I'm just speaking generally as those who are outside of Christ, those who are lost. As sinners, we walk in darkness. Start standing before a large group of Gentiles in the city of Athens, Paul proclaimed, he said this, Men of Athens, picture it there. He's there in front of all these people who are worshiping idols everywhere. There's an idol, a tomb to this, and I mean a, a, a monument to this, and a monument to that, and all these things. He stands before them in Athens. He says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. By the way, I think, I, at least in the United States, people are coming, becoming some, in some ways more and more religious. But he says, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. 
And I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So there was one inscription there that just in case they missed a God, there was the, the, this memorial to this God, the unknown God. So there he proclaims, that is the one I proclaim to you. So since the fall, though sinners, men and women have worshipped created things instead of their creator. And so all of us, Calvin said we are, I think his stay, he says that we're, our hearts are just a factory that makes a new idol every day in some way, shape, or form. That's what we do in our own nature, in and of ourselves. That's what we do. We are idolatrous. And what, you know, it just goes back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't love anything else. Love Him. Anything else would be idolatry. So whether it's wood or stone or the rain god or the fertility god or the sun god or other gods that we have like money and power and sex, whatever they are, we are all idolaters in and of ourselves. Since the fall, it is in our nature concerning creation. Since the fall, men have looked at creation and wonder, and they wonder with awe. And they give greatness to the one who made all of this. But it is still creation. Creation is still inferior to the one who created it. This is why God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So after <clears throat> you think about creation, as we look up and say, wow, there's, there's got to be a great God up there that made this. God also sent his prophets in the Old Testament. He sent them to teach us and to show us what God was like and what God is like, what He requires of us. Throughout history, God has even sent angels to speak of His glory. But all of these were only to prepare us for, all of these things were there to prepare us for the incarnation, the coming of Christ. This is why we need the incarnation. This is why Jesus came. He came to teach us about the Father. So if you go and read the New Testament, you read one of the Gospels, you'll find that God, Jesus says, I want to teach you about the Father. But he also came to destroy the worship of idols. Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> and another time he said, I and the Father are one. And he took on flesh, just like us. He did this to show us the Father. But he also did this to destroy idol worship. Now, at this point in, in, in Athanasius' work, he says he puts idol worship into four categories. Now, this is just him. They're true for sure, but we could probably have more categories than this. But he said, here are the ways that mankind worships idols. Four categories. The first one, creation. So men and women worship creation, the things made. Second one is men. So we worship men and women. We do that. I mean, think about all the Marvel movies. And those, we, we want somebody to put up on a pedestal. So we worship creation. We worship men. We worship evil spirits. That has happened throughout. If you go back to the Old Testament, particularly, you see that clearly. So that's a third way. Then finally, the fourth way, he says we worship dead heroes. So think about creation. Men and women have always worshipped what has been made and have always made idols 
I mean, you can make an idol out of this if we wanted to. We could put it back in the ground, put something around it, and go out and worship it. I remember living in, in, in Tatarstan and going out with these <clears throat> groups of people that I got to know, and we'd go to this totem pole out in the middle of nowhere where there was food, where the villagers would come out, worshiping some type of idol that was made. Throughout history, there have always been great rulers and leaders have been called gods, and we've worshiped them. We've worshipped evil spirits. Finally, great men and women have been idolized and worshipped throughout history. And all of this is true, but who is the Lord of all? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator and Lord of creation. So concerning the worship of, of creation, He created all and He sustains it all. So we worship Him today. Concerning the worship of men... Who is the perfect man? Jesus Christ is the perfect man. He came as God in the flesh and he commanded worship. Concerning evil spirits, what did he do when a person had an evil spirit in him or her? He cast them out with authority and power. He has control over these things. On the cross, he made a public spectacle of all of them, disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. Concerning dead heroes, people worship men and women who have died, but where are they? They are dead. And unlike those heroes, our Lord Jesus rose from the grave. He, he conquered death and hell and the power of death, he rose from the grave. So when you think about that, is there anything more glorious than the incarnation of Christ? Can you imagine Athanasius back in the 4th century writing a little book on this? If you had to pick a topic and give to your friends, could there be anything more important than the incarnation of Christ? Now you see why I get so excited about reading folks and reading things from long times ago. Ephesians 3.17, Paul prays for the Ephesians that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith, that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. This prayer is for us today. And about this prayer, Athanasius says this, Here's what he says. For by the word, revealing himself everywhere, both above and beneath, in the depth and in the breadth, above, in the creation, beneath, in becoming man, in the depth, in Hades, and in the breadth, in the world, all things have been filled with the knowledge of God when we think about the incarnation. Today, Jesus came to show us the Father and to destroy idol worship. Today Jesus is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of earth. He is the Lord of mankind for he took on flesh. <laughs> he is the Lord of the one who conquers death. For He conquered death and he rose again. So again, my question, why the incarnation? I've only touched the surface this morning. For all of eternity we will consider the beauty of the incarnation. And we will never get to the depths of the beauty 
and the work and the person of Christ in the incarnation. For the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So today, as we now transition over to, I think I've, I've given you our, my applications, I, I think, throughout the sermon. But as we consider taking the Lord's Supper, as we transition today, think of these things. I would ask you, by way of application, when you leave this place, let this be just something today that helps us not only understand, but helps us as we go out as Christians. I'm speaking now to Christians to go out and share the gospel because this helps us understand the gospel in a way that, that goes a little deeper than hopefully we had yesterday. So think of these things. Share this most beautiful message ever told with everyone around you. Contemplate such a wondrous thought that God came down to us. He, be, he came to make the corrupt incorruptible. He came to restore the image of God in us. And He came to show us the Father and destroy the worship of idols. Again, so much more than that. But at this time, let's, let's just take a moment <clears throat> to think about the sermon and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And then I'll talk to us again and give us some instructions. But let's just take a moment in silence. Heavenly Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for these words. Even as we've used the words from, from Athanasius and then applied them to us, we, as Christians, we're no longer corrupt. As Christians, we, because of the death, the incarnation, particularly the death of Christ, as we remember, we're not just not only corrupt, corrupt we have been, the image of God has been restored in us. And in Christ, we know who you are as the Father. And you, through the incarnation, have destroyed idol worship. So, Father, we give thanks today. And we praise your name for the incarnation. I pray today, if someone is not a Christian that today they may look unto Christ and be saved. Turn from their sins, repent, and look unto Him. And you will in no way cast anyone out who comes to you. And so today we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.